This is Sarah Stewart-Holland. And this is Beth Silvers. Thank you for joining us for Pantsuit Politics. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Pantsuit Politics. Thanks for joining us for this Thanksgiving week episode. Today, we're going to do a little news roundup because quite a few really significant things have happened since we last were with you. So we're going to cover the horrific shooting at Club Q, the news that a special prosecutor has been appointed and a deal reached during COP27 regarding loss and damage across the world due to climate change. Then we are going to bring in our friends from ABLE. We've previously talked with you about our partnership with ABLE, and we wanted to have them on today to talk more about the fashion industry and the kinds of problems that persist in the fashion industry. This is a very political discussion about those problems and how ABLE is trying to take a different approach to solving them. And then outside of politics, Sarah is forcing me to have a discussion with her about the White House wedding, and I will do my best but I am not excited, and I just want to log my protest formally here at the beginning. (laughs) I threatened to chain myself to something if she didn't, so that was actually the threat of uh, physical protest if we didn't talk about Naomi Biden's wedding. I respect our partnership. I do not want you to chain yourself to anything. I'm just, for the record, making sure that people know how this came about. If you are like me, you are in a flurry of gift-buying Right now, you know, the all the warnings about the supply chain really sort of put some gas in my tank last year. But all the news stories about how the supply chain is overwhelming has led to some real procrastination on my end. So if you are like me, we have put together our favorite things of 2022 into a gift guide that you can check out. It has all kinds of amazing things we've talked about over the past year on the show, products we've loved, books we've written, etc. And then, of course, We have Able on today, and they have amazing gifts, and they're offering our listeners 40% off site-wide with the code Pantsuit40, so you should definitely check that out. Up next, we are going to do a little news roundup to talk about some of the really significant things that have happened in the past few days. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, 
And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Sarah, it was heartbreaking to hear the news out of Colorado that there's been another mass shooting in Colorado. This time, five people were killed, 25 injured at Club Q, which was known as a real safe haven for the queer community in Colorado Springs. Colorado Springs is known to be quite conservative, is the home of Focus on the Family I heard an interview with a LGBTQ woman on uh, first, and she was saying, I know that Colorado Springs has this reputation, but I've always felt safe and welcome here. And this just breaks my heart because I feel like people are going to make all these assumptions about the gay community and how they're treated here. And that has not been my experience, which I thought was really interesting because especially when a state experiences so many mass shootings as Colorado has, Aurora, Columbine, I mean, you can just name the, like, really famous ones, and they fill up almost your entire hand. It's easy to make so many assumptions and to sort of shrink down the experiences of the people there into this one-dimensional narrative. And nobody deserves that, not the people that lost their lives at Club Q or the people who survived. I think the more we experience, you know, the emotional reaction is to go to this place of, like, everything is terrible, all is lost, and you just— it's not that I don't think our gun culture in America is terrible. I do. But I think we inevitably shrink the humanity of the people experiencing these shootings when we go to those sort of extreme political reactions. It seems like Colorado's governor, Jared Polis, has done a really nice job being extremely visible around this tragedy and making sure that he speaks to that complexity that he speaks to the fact that Colorado wants to be a welcoming and inclusive state. And he, of course, is the first openly gay male elected governor. And he and his husband have both spoken to this tragedy and how important it is for people to be able to live safely in their communities and to feel a sense of community around them. I was thinking about this discussion that we had last week, Sarah. We were invited to talk with Patrick of Truth Over Tribe for his podcast. We're often invited into Christian spaces to talk about our work and our personal faith and how we see those two things going together. And Patrick was a really gracious, generous host, asked us many interesting questions. And one of the things that he talked about is how can churches show up to improve the political climate and to make America a you know kinder, safer, safer, more civil place to be. And I was thinking about my answer to him, which was that churches can absolutely help facilitate better political dialogue, but it's not going to be through programming as much as through being places where people really feel a sense of belonging. And I still believe that, but I was thinking over the weekend about how I wish I had just said, 
the best thing churches can do right now, especially Christian churches, is outside of church, promote that sense of belonging first. That sense that everyone has a place here, that everyone should be safe here, that we should lead with love in all circumstances. And it makes me really sad that it is so easy to pull out those James Dobson quotes. It is so easy to find someone saying something really hateful about the LGBTQ community, or not even hateful, but just that that really puts distance between us and people in that community. And I hope that we will just take yet another lesson here and try to try to do better. How wonderful that that community can feel represented at the very top of the leadership in the state when they're going through something like this. Like that's the that's the importance of diverse leadership and representation, especially from a historically marginalized community. I would like to see the church bring its power and energy and resources that it has brought to lobbying against gay marriage and against abortion to gun control. That's what I would like to see. Because uh, they can do it. I mean, we got a story this weekend, another leak that um, around the Hobby Lobby case, conservative Christian organizations were tipped off to the decision that they were sort of the the background, the behind the scenes, arguably corrupt level of lobbying come from these organizations at the very top reaches of the Supreme Court. So I would love to see that energy brought to something like gun control where people keep losing their lives because I think it really could shift and change the politics of our country. We can we have seen what Christian organizations can do when they bring their their time and energy and resources to a political topic they feel strongly about. That would be some nice movement in the American political scene. I don't know if we're going to see it, but considering that so many of these events happen at churches as well, I think it's worth considering. Well, so much love to everyone who lost someone at Club Q, who lost some part of themselves because of this experience, who feel a little bit less safe today. Please know that you are welcomed and celebrated and cared for here. We also wanted to talk about news that Attorney General Merrick Garland has appointed Jack Smith to serve as the special prosecutor to look into two matters concerning former twice impeached, banned and now reinstated to Twitter, and presidential candidate once again, Donald Trump. Bless. Jack Smith, who just has the most uh, innocuous name I've ever heard. (laughs) Can we talk about the name? When they picked the name, I was like, was the name like the number one qualification? <laughs> because you'd be so impossible to dox or follow or harass. How are you going? How are you going to harass somebody named Jack Smith? Godspeed. That's like you know harassing Linda Brown. Like good luck finding her. You know, like that's the first thing I thought. Yeah, he is uh, perfectly named. He has an excellent resume. He's a registered independent. He really does. There were so many oh, wise considerations in making this choice, but he will be looking into both the classified documents stored at Mar-a-Lago situation, as well as Trump's involvement in January 6th. Of course, Trump thinks this is the worst thing that has ever happened, a symbol of truly corrupt government. Mm. And I just have to say thank you, Attorney General Merrick Garland, because I think this Mm -hmm. was the only move that he could really make in light of Trump's presidential announcement and a way to keep the investigation going and ensure that to the best of his ability in the impossible task of trying not to politicize these investigations, I think this was the the only move available to him. And I'm glad that he made it quickly and decisively. No, I agree. I think it was 
the right move. This guy seems highly qualified. It won't matter to a certain segment of the right, but it matters to me, the old Faith Hill song. And I think that it's a move in the right direction. How are you feeling about Trump being reinstated to Twitter while we're on the topic of our twice impeached former president? I think it is just so transparently commercial in nature that I can't bring myself to care about this decision. Also, we were on C-SPAN on Saturday morning. And if I needed something to make me really say that my relationship with Twitter is done, it was being on C-SPAN on Saturday morning. (laughs) So... For me, I have I have said my goodbyes to that site. I still have my accounts. I still pop on occasionally, but it is not the forum for me that it used to be. And and so I'm just not going to get worked up about Donald Trump. I mean, Godspeed to everybody. Good luck. I hope that the people who have put a lot of heart and soul into making Twitter work well have the best outcomes available to them from all of this. But that's about all I've got. What about you? I am increasingly sad. Even though I'm not an active Twitter user, I read a lot of Twitter. Like, I just read it in other places, and it delights me. And, you know, reading through some other people's tweets about the connection and um, sort of community that people have found on Twitter, and I think about what I've learned from communities on Twitter that have, like, come together and, and put together this narrative around their perspective and how valuable that is, and it's just making me increasingly sad that all that can go away. I think it has platformed some really, really important perspectives. And I don't know how we'd get that anywhere else. Or It's just the other platforms don't allow for the type of readership and sharing that Twitter Twitter does, which is both a blessing and a curse. And so when I was reading through, you know, so many communities, the disability community, the black community, the adoption community, even just Me Too. Would Me Too have happened without Twitter? I don't know. And so now I'm like, you know, I think in the beginning it was just kind of like, well, I don't read it that much, even though, again, that's not really true. Who cares? And I'm just getting increasingly sad. Like, I'm, I think I've sort of moved a little bit now. I'm like, I don't want Twitter to go away. I don't want it to disappear. I think something would be lost. And he's such a disaster. I just, it's kind of, you know, disturbing in any context when you see someone with so much power flailing in such a public way. So I'm just sort of increasingly disquieted by the scene over there. Well, I don't know if it's going to go away. I just think the experience is going to change dramatically. I think it's already changing quite a bit. I also think Mm -hmm. that Twitter is where the everything of everything is overstated. And so Mm -hmm. the idea that it's just going to have this spectacular demise in the next weeks or months, I think is probably not true. It's just hard for me to say, like... I'm outraged that Donald Trump would be back on this platform when I think the direction of this platform is going to be more trolling, more hard right wing, more nihilistic. And that just means it's probably not going to have much of a place of importance to me. And and it hasn't for a while, if I'm being honest, and I think that's just going to continue. I don't disagree with you. I think that it's been undeniably important in some really positive and some really negative ways in our society. And it's there's a lot to learn from the prominence that Twitter has had for us. It's hard to learn that in the midst of this chaos, you know, but I sort of look forward to those retrospectives. Yeah. Well, the last thing we want to talk about today is COP27, which we have not spent much time on because of the midterm elections. But in Egypt, world leaders have gathered the Conference of Parties to discuss global climate change and how the world can work more cooperatively. This year, the focus was 
not only on reducing carbon emissions and thinking through how we can prevent future climate disaster, but also on coming to grips with the damage that current climate disaster is having across the globe and has been having for a couple of decades now. Small island nations since the 1990s have been coming to industrialized countries to say, we are bearing the brunt of your carbon emissions. Our sea levels are rising. Our volcanoes are erupting. We are dealing with hurricanes and tsunamis and overwhelming damage. And all you offer us in the face of that is debt. And that's been true. Industrialized nations have offered some debt, not as much as they've promised to offer, but some loans to help these countries rebuild. And then another disaster happens, and these countries that are drowning in debt as it is have to come back and just be offered more debt. And so this year, there was a real focus at COP27 on the idea of loss and damage, some kind of international fund for uh, countries to receive something like insurance payouts when they have undergone terrible losses from climate-related events. It's incredibly complicated. The details are unclear to me, Sarah, but I talked about this on More to Say. I have not talked about this with you yet. I'm curious what your thoughts are. I'm encouraged that we've gotten movement on this. I think that's the most important part when you are negotiating with nations is any forward momentum, any sort of breakthrough. You don't complain about the setup of the fund or the payouts. You say, oh my gosh, we got a fund. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I mean, because when you have players like this, that any, any just centimeter of agreement is a massive accomplishment. Poor John Kerry got COVID up there and kept negotiating. So like, I think that this is a wonderful breakthrough. I think any breakthrough surrounding climate change when you're talking about international agreement is huge and those developments and their their positive after effects sort of like compound on each other. So I'm incredibly encouraged. The other really significant breakthrough of the past couple of weeks is that the United States and China are going to resume climate talks. That's hugely important because both the United States and China are massive polluters in the world, have enormous control over the world's economy. And the relationship between our two countries is beyond fraught. And so for us to be working cooperatively on anything is a real testament to the diplomatic efforts that have been underway with our government. And just a credit to the State Department, the administration, all of the people who've been working hard behind the scenes to get any kind of dialogue going there. Thinking about climate and sustainability is a good transition to our next conversation. We are welcoming Barrett Ward and Jen Milan from ABLE to talk with us about the ABLE brand and specifically about the climate issues, the income inequality issues, the gender and diversity issues that they have been trying to think through in creating this brand. It is a really different approach to commerce that they're describing, and we thought it was well worth your time. Just a reminder that we do have a partnership with ABLE. When you purchase from ABLE using our code, we do receive commissions on those purchases. So ABLE is a sponsor of Pantsu Politics. We are grateful for that sponsorship. And we also are extremely grateful for their work. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. 
You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day, Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college, y'all. He's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash pantsuit. Jen and Barrett, we are so happy that you're here at Pantsuit Politics. I coach future problem solving for fourth to eighth graders. And that is a six-step competition process where you take a really big topic and you think about all the dimensions of that topic and work your way to prioritizing what you can help make better about that really big, hard topic. And I was thinking about ABLE, and you all feel like just the living embodiment of the future problem-solving process to me. I was thinking about fast fashion as this topic where you just seem to be looking at all these dimensions of it and saying, how can we make progress? So will you tell everybody, Barrett, a little bit about how you started and if that metaphor that I just made rings true to you? Well, what first rings true is, could you come teach that to my four <laughs> and my family, please? Be delighted to. <laughs> I have four daughters that could use that very, very much. Um, what you're saying, it's interesting. I'd love to hear Jen's feedback on that as well. But what you're seeing does ring true. 
but it's also something that we kind of got into accidentally at first. So I was living in Ethiopia with my wife and what we ran across for the first time that I'd never seen so up close and personal was the commercial sex industry or forced sex slavery or prostitution. And there's two things that I really took away from that in, in meeting with these women. Number one is they all said, look, we are, we are able-bodied. We, we are grateful for the charity of helping us rehabilitate from the streets and healthcare, but we need a job. I mean, if we don't have a job at the end of this rehabilitation, we're going to go back to the street, right? And then the second thing that I gained was in hearing the women's stories, y'all, these are women, there's, these are not women making bad choices with their life, which is kind of what I probably thought, but instead you meet women that were trying to just support their children, met one woman that had gone into the commercial sex industry so as to save her sister from breast cancer. And so we asked them, what do you want to make? And we'll try to go sell it. And as it turns out in Addis Ababa, the capital of Ethiopia, uh, weaving has been around since the Queen of Sheba. I mean, it's it's a massively uh, traditional garb that they wear there in Ethiopia, these thin scarves. And anyways, they said that's what they'd want to make. And, and if they would have said, we want to make coffee cups, we'd be a coffee cup company today. Yep. Um, but to that point, Beth, we landed in fashion and then started learning all these things about fast fashion, which really became our focus to try to figure out solutions that would impact not just a few people's lives, but as we grew, obviously could potentially impact the industry. But that's so perfect because that's what happens. That's the struggle of future problem solving is reining it in. You only get 20 problems and one underlying problem and 20 solutions and one underlying solution. And so how appropriate that in trying to pay attention to one small community and their struggle that you realize like, oh, the tentacles are everywhere. And like you, 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 you stumble into these other trying to find a solution. And then you're like, oh, wait, I've now encountered this other problem. And how do I, that's what I appreciate because I think what I saw in Abel when we were on the ground with y'all in Nashville is that adaptability instead of saying, well, that's how it is. And this Mm. is how this industry works. Like you just, you have to be adaptable. And it's not like you are still doing that exact thing you started doing. You have branched out. You have followed other solutions. You have this philosophy of, well, we can't just, you know, just grow to grow. Like the growth has to be in a direction of this sort of attention to the world and the problems of the world. That's right. I appreciate that. That's something we bat back and forth here at Pantsu Politics. You know, like there's this, this sort of business mindset that says grow, 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 grow. And when you're sort of have these values and this purpose, how do you do that? How do you stay true to what you started doing and still continue to serve and continue to grow? You know, while we were having an impact on individual lives as we were small, you know, that that was our focus, making sure that the, the impact that we thought we were having, we're actually having. And so we did a lot of audits and making sure that Women mm. on the ground's experience is what we thought it was. But as we grew and, and started to become a brand that was recognized, we realized we might be able to impact the industry. And then the question became, how do we do that? And so, because I think as a general philosophy, you know, 1996, y'all may remember, there was a picture of a boy from Pakistan that came out and he was sewing a football and on that football was a Nike swoosh. 
And then all of a sudden the words child labor became something that everybody knew about. Yeah. And what we saw during that time was, is consumer demand drove Nike to solutions. Nike first did all their PR spending and said, that's not our fault. We don't own that manufacturing. And consumers said, uh-uh, that's your fault. You got to do something about it. You have leverage here. And all of a sudden, shareholder value started to drop. And guess what? They figured out how to yep. really work on child labor solutions. And so we really believe in there's, there's the different segments. You know, there's the private and the public sectors, right? And our, the, the consumers on this side of that coin are going to be the ones to drive change through, through these brands more quickly than anything that could happen. I mean, as we see legislation, for example, on minimum wages hasn't changed in however many years from the $7 range, right? So the things that do drive those things up a lot of the times is consumer demand. But yep. Jen, what, what would you say about that? I thought you had a interesting analogy with that. Yeah. I mean, I think asking about growth and how to grow, we always want to make sure we're growing for a purpose and that as we're growing, we are actually creating more living wage jobs for women and that we're like achieving that goal. I I think for us, we've so recognized all the social statistics there are around when you pay the women in a community, it's the fastest way to lift that community Mm -hmm. out of poverty. So there's all these studies that have been done globally. And when you pay the men in a community, it's great, lovely. But when you pay the women in a community, they give almost twice as much of their money back into the community. um, And it lifts the community's income significantly faster. And so that's really like one of the main things, like we said, we got into this so organically through Barrett and where he was living and his relationships. But I kind of came into it a couple years in. Barrett and I have worked together for almost nine years now. And I'm an economics major. I'm like big, like numbers nerd, love all the like intelligent, like how would we, how would we solve this problem to your point, Beth? And I think what's really cool is we sat down and said, this happened really organically through our community and through our people that we know and what they needed at the time. But I think if we sat down at a table and said, okay, how would we want to impact poverty in the world? And what would we do with that, right? We would look at all the social statistics around paying women. We would say, okay, we got to figure out how to pay women a good wage, right? And then we'd probably look at the industries that employed the most women and fashion's the largest industrial employer of women in the world, right? And so then, but that's a very big international thing. It's hard to legislate all this stuff, but the consumer piece of it is not as difficult because you can educate the consumers much more quickly than you can get lots of international legislation passed. And so what if the biggest way to impact poverty around the world is actually to educate fashion consumers on paying Mm -hmm. the people that make their products well, right? And eliminating that sense of anonymity that a lot of Americans have around, I bought this product and it was probably made by a robot or a machine, because, you know, we all saw a couple little videos on Mr. Rogers or Sesame Street or something when we were kids. Right, right, and, right. and you lose sight of the fact that, like, no, there's people touching your product all the way through. It's supporting mm-hmm. people's livelihoods. It's supporting their incomes all the way through. And when you decide, you know, to prioritize, you know, different things in a purchase, it impacts the supply chain of people that have touched that. 
When you talk about prioritizing yeah. different things in a purchase, it makes me think of an interview I saw that you gave, Jen, a couple of years ago, where you were suggesting that fashion really ought to come with something like a nutrition label. Can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that idea and what components you all at ABLE would put into that label that you want consumers to understand about what they're buying? Yeah, absolutely. I think living wage is a huge piece of it. So for the people that made the product, what were they paid? And can they live comfortably in their community on that wage? And that's the difference between a living wage and a minimum wage. Minimum wage is just about a law. It's about whatever a law or uh, restriction is around. It has nothing to do with how much it costs to live in a community. So in Nashville, the living wage is almost $15 an hour, but the minimum wage I think is seven and a quarter. Like it's so vastly different. So I think living wage is a huge piece of that for us. I also think like we did a lot of anonymous independent interviews of People who make our products um, back in 2017, like pre-COVID, we had this huge initiative we were working on um, called Accountable that actually led us to be one of the first fashion companies to publish our lowest wages. Um, and we did lots of interviews about like, are you comfortable at work? Do you feel safe if you need to go to the doctor? Like, do you feel cared for? There's a huge piece of that component. Um, and then I also think the more we've gotten into this, we got into it from the people perspective. We've realized how important the environmental perspective is because it's impacting the people and the communities that we are working with and trying to partner with. So our kind of three tiers right now are really like that social responsibility, the responsibility to our customer, and then the responsibility to the environment too. Well, I think that consumer education component is so interesting because, you know, we have a consumer model, you know, the customer's always right, that consumer demand where it's all coming, you know, sort of what's driving a company's um, decision-making comes from them. And I think it takes a lot to stand up and say, well, part of the problem that is impacting the people making the clothes is how the people who are buying the clothes feel about the yeah. clothes. And I think like, I mean, I even think about your item swapping process. Like that wouldn't even occur. That's not something I'm demanding. I wouldn't have even known to demand it. I wouldn't have even known to ask like, hey, my body changed and I paid a lot for this. What happens? Like I just, it like blew my mind. And I would love to know the process that like gets you to stuff like that. Like how can we change yeah. the consumer's relationship with these Yeah, products? I think a lot of times the hesitation around doing more ethical fashion is that it's expensive, frankly, um, oftentimes. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we're very fairly priced, but I also know like you can go on Amazon and get a version of what we offer for a fraction of the price. And so it's about how do you make that a really worthwhile investment for someone. And one of the things, I mean, I have two little kids. I have been postpartum for a year. It's kind of like, I want to invest in these beautiful pieces, but I'm just not really sure if they're going to fit me in another year, either direction. And it makes me feel a lot safer to say, yes, I'm going to buy this sweater that's $120. I'm going to buy this dress that's $150 because I know I'm going to be able to wear it in several years because the company is going to honor the commitment I've made to their workers and their values. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's pretty fair. If we're asking for y'all to invest in our 
impact and what we're trying to do, I think it's really fair to us for us to invest in you and what changes will happen with you coming up too. But I think what's so powerful about that is, again, it's that's like education. That's not just, you know, meeting a demand. It's saying like, you you deserve this if it's an investment. This is what an investment mm-hmm. means. It doesn't just mean the quality of the right. fabric. It means the quality of the fabric. It means the quality of the way in which the worker is treated. It means what we see as the lifespan of this item. I mean, that's what's changed. Yes. When we were talking about fast fashion, you know, you talked to my grandmother and she was like, we had four shirts and five pairs of pants and they lasted for five to eight mm-hmm. years. Like, and it's just that that churn and how many clothes should we have and how long should they last? Is it just a season? Like that churn is so very different now. And to like fight back against yeah. that and educate and sort of push back against that momentum is really, really incredible. I joke about the fact that my and it's true that at my grandma's house, the furniture literally never changed in 40 years and she used the same piece of tinfoil uh her entire life i'm pretty sure <laughs> and you know and and instead consumerism i saw a number of something like has grown 400 percent in the last 20 years yeah. and and the seasonal churn it really happened with even the h&ms by launching a new season every week as opposed to every mm. quarter or third of the year And, you know, it really does take a consumer mindset shift of, so if I buy a $15 t-shirt, number one is, you know, how long is that t-shirt going to last if it's $15? Number two is, is, am I overly investing in trend in my wardrobe? And number three, if I'm getting such a good deal, is the person on the other end of this getting the same, you know, what kind of deal are they getting out of it? And, and instead, if you just think to yourself, you know what, I'm going to buy a $40 t-shirt instead that I know is quality, that I know has a lifetime guarantee on it or a size swap option and, and make it a more staple piece. And, and I do see consumers really thinking more about how to do capsule wardrobes yeah. like that. So that served us yeah. well. And then you don't have to buy it again. You don't have to make the decision again after that. Like you've decided oh, once. Listen, right? now listen, that is the Holy Spirit speaking. <laughs> that right there. You don't have to make the decision again. Because I think we think that that churn is freedom. It is not. It is its own kind of prison. Because not only yeah. do you not have to buy that t-shirt again, you don't have to decide what to do with the $15 one you bought every about two months when it's nasty. Like, should I throw it away? Should I turn it into a rack? Should I donate it? Like, it's like right. a whole level. It's a whole other level of decision making that's eliminated. And that's the whole part of fast fashion that's so dangerous, I think, is it's made clothes disposable. And we can say they're not, right? Yep. But it's disposable after two or three washes or whatever it is before it falls apart. Yep. And it really is like, okay, if you buy a jean jacket from insert big brand's name here, you know, and you have to replace mm-hmm. that every year and a half for the next 10 years. Or you could buy an Able jacket. I've had mine for almost six years now. It's in perfect condition. And you can wear that all the way through. Your cost per wear is actually less expensive on the Able jacket. Yep. And can I just say, I just feel like we get caught up in the cost per wear and we have this very transactional view. But there is something very 
special about owning a piece of clothing that goes with your life through that. Yes. That's why our grandmothers kept outfits. They even, like my grandmother still has her, you know, little wedding sweater that she wore because she wore it over and over and attached. Like, I love that. Grow attached to all these memories wrapped up in the item of clothing as opposed to just, you know, like I said, just discarding it. It's It takes on you know, sort of uh, uh, the memories. If you wear something for six years, you're going to feel very differently about that piece of clothing than if you just wear it for six months. I agree. And it can become a signature piece. Yes, I love it. When you think through the that specialness too, it is special to know that people made it and that those people have been treated as people in the process of making it. So, Barrett, you began thinking about these women in Ethiopia. You've obviously expanded in many directions. You have much more than scarves now. Uh, and I know that you have women who are in recovery and have done second chance hiring, and that there are like all kinds of communities that you are helping through this work. Jen mentioned the environmental focus. I say all that to ask this question. I would love to hear how both of you think about this, what problem are you excited about trying to make progress on next? What what else are you thinking mm. through? You know, the, for me, it's really about repairing what we lost during COVID. Um, mm. You know, we were on a trajectory of, you know, as Jen had mentioned, publishing our lowest wages, working on the nutrition label, but all of that was predicated by being able to visit our manufacturers and audit them face to face. Because if you're just doing an audit over the phone or over Zoom, there's nothing safe about that um, for the yeah. person being interviewed in an audit. And so we've just got to get back on the ground. And that's really what I think 2023 for us is, is getting back to visiting our manufacturers, manufacturers and auditing with them, alongside them, to really help make sure that they are doing what they intend to do with their employees as well. Because it's hard, you know, nobody wants to be really audited, do they? But I, I think at the end of the day, if we're going to be serious about solutions to poverty, we have to dig into that level of trying to find out the hard stuff. And we found out hard stuff in the past. But the biggest thing we try to teach not only our manufacturers, but other brands that we come alongside and say, hey, you can do this too. And you can be this transparent with your customers as we try to teach them. You don't have to be perfect before you're honest with your customers about where you Ooh, are on your really journey. Good. That is so good. I love that. You do not have to be perfect before you can be honest. That applies in lots of yeah. areas of life. And I think you have to yeah. trust that people will, You there. there is a sense of trust that people will listen and that people will seek to understand where you're at when you're going to be honest before you're perfect too. And I think that's been a little bit of the the secret sauce for us with our customers who are wonderful is like we trust them to to be able to lay out something detailed that we're working through and have them fully digest it. Well, and listen, I would say, too, I understand what you're saying, that you sort of lost that opportunity due to COVID, but also you gained an opportunity on the consumer side because the status quo was disrupted in a very dramatic way. And when that happens, people are ready to rethink things, including, you know, how they dress and what they're buying and what their closets are like. And so, you know, you gained an opportunity, too, for sure. You're right. That's true. We did see that a lot. Uh, Everything kind of slowed down in COVID, didn't it? Yep. People were reading more than just the headline. They started mm-hmm. reading the next paragraph too. Yep. And that gave us the opportunity to speak to people more sincerely or more deeply 
about why we're trying to do what we're doing to the point of Jen saying, you know, education is what it's all about. The thing that is so important to me that people understand is that in the same way that you get to vote, you also get to spend money and have impact Mm -hmm. with the choices you make on who you're purchasing from, what you're purchasing and how you're purchasing. And I think that's often missed in the busyness of life. And it just feels like get through this transaction and this transaction. And I think you miss how impactful you can be if you slow down and are more thoughtful um, about your purchases. Well, and let me brag on y'all. Listen, I think people know that. And I think sometimes that can feel like a drag. And really, you want shopping to be Mm -hmm. fun. And you guys have bridged the gap. It doesn't feel like a drag. It still feels like you're getting beautiful, fashionable. That is an accomplishment. Thank you. you. I'm grateful for that. Thank you. (laughs) Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze. And its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. 
Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. All right, outside of politics, Sarah, I'm just going to turn this over to you because you said that you would protest if we did not talk about the White House wedding. I mean, you don't have any feelings at all about it. Just zero. Well, that's not exactly true, but my feelings are not glowing and positive like yours. I think that White House weddings What did you not like? No, it's not that I don't like it. I'm happy for them. I thought the pictures that I saw were beautiful. I think it is a tricky thing for the country when people are struggling with gas and grocery prices to have the sort of royal feel that a White House wedding creates. I think it's tricky. I think it's fraught. I also just don't have a lot to say. I thought it looked, I mean, it looked pretty like I'm done. You know, I'm not going to analyze the the choices. Well, I think that's why they took, they made the choice to keep it so private. It's not like they were inviting everybody in to see the reception, right? I do appreciate the Washington Post reporters in particular who camped out and got me the details I very much needed. Thank you, sirs and ma'ams. I loved it. I loved it. I mean, hell, Princess Diana and Prince Charles got married in the middle of, like, Margaret Thatcher's economic destruction. Sometimes people just need something pretty to look at, you know? And it was uh, beautiful. All those white flowers across the front of the White House, the portico. I thought the White House might have been the prettiest attendee, if I'm being honest. I thought it looked magnificent. I thought the white flowers were mwah, chef's kiss. This is a beautiful building, no doubt. Right? Flowers were lovely. And I thought her her <laughs> dress was gorgeous. Uh, we had a little internal debate in some of my text message threads about whether the solid sleeves or they should have been lace sleeves. And I made the argument that we've seen lace sleeves. We have not seen what she did. I loved it. Ralph Lauren, fantastic choice. I don't know the symbolism between the fact that he wore a brooch instead of a boutonniere, but I liked it. I thought it was really cool. Did you know they were living in the White House? No. Yeah. They're living in the apartment that Melania's parents and Michelle's mother lived in. I don't care. But that's great. Sure. I I think it's fascinating. I like it. I said, whatever. She's Hunter's oldest kid and he has a baby. So let her live there if she wants to. I will say this, Beth. You know, I got some of these additional details from the Washington Post article. I still haven't seen a picture of the second dress. It is the greatest, like, tragedy of my life that this whole ceremony dress, reception dress trend did not exist when I got married. I'm so sad we missed out on that. I am relieved that we missed out on that. I don't want I didn't need my no. wedding to be more expensive. Here's the thing. I think more dresses. that proms and some weddings and a lot of these events where you get to really like make it over the top lovely are kind of wasted on the young. I want some more of this in my True. in my life now. Like now that I could do the multiple dresses and not think, "Oh my god, does this mean that we can't you know, pay for the washer and dryer this month. Like at this time when 
income-wise, it would be better, when I love my friends deeply and they are kind of the people that I'm going to be with for most of my life. Like, I just think we could have some really good parties now and some and some celebratory rituals now and some lavishness now that we just didn't appreciate and that was mostly stressful when we were in our 20s and teens. Well, I will say that they did something from my wedding, which I just love it when something gets picked up. 20 years later, they read I Carry Your Heart With Me by E.E. Cummings. Fun fact, Nicholas and I have the opening lines of that poem inscribed inside of our wedding bands. Also, I'm obsessed with her veil. I love a Maria Von Trapp veil. I want it to go all the way from the altar, all the way to the back of the church. I love a long veil and her Naomi Biden's veil. I don't think we've actually said their name. It's Naomi Biden and Peter Neal who got married. Naomi Biden, one of I think their oldest grandchild, um, got married. That veil. Oh, did you have a long veil? I didn't wear a veil at all. <gasps> well, I had a long veil because I'm obsessed with long veils. And then I forgot to pull it over my face for the walk down the aisle. Just completely forgot, walked with it back, which is fine. But oh no, I had a long veil. A I got married veil. in a park. It would have been, I think a lot to have a veil. Not not out of the question, but I tried to have a very like casual feel for with for my whole vibe with the wedding. There are also fun fun little details from the reception again. Still need that picture of the second dress, but I'll be patient about how she danced with President Biden and whispered into her ear the whole time. I thought that was the sweetest. Um everybody looked like they were just happy and delighted and enjoying every minute of it. And I, I like to see that joy across people's faces at a wedding because they can be pretty stressful, especially at the White House and especially since it was 39 degrees outside. But the pictures were stunning. And I love, I think it's nice. I like a public wedding. I think a White House wedding is the absolute funnest. This is only our 19th one. They're rare. And I really liked reading all the like historical wrap-ups of like the ones they've had recently. Like, I didn't know about Peter Sousa. Did you know that basically Barack Obama pressured him into uh, proposing to his girlfriend by offering the White House as a wedding venue? I thought that was hilarious. I do appreciate how much love there seems to exist in the Biden family. And I also like how Mm -hmm. President Biden seems completely unapologetic about Hunter, even though there's there's been a lot of controversy. There's a there's about to be a lot of controversy. Feels like a really confident thing to me that he just says, no, this Mm -hmm. is my son and this is my granddaughter and we're doing this. I think that's lovely. Are are we done? Do you feel better? Have (laughs) Have we done all we need to do here? (laughs) Oh, I do. I guess so. No, I think you're right. I think his delight in his grandchildren in particular is so lovely. I love, I will never tire of reading about how he calls them all every day and checks in on them. I want on that list. Could I just, I mean, we're not that we are far night. She's 28, I'm 41. But like, oh, I just, I do. I love how they delight in each other. And I think that confidence is a good way to put it. And I just, and also, I just love a wedding. Just, straight up. I get so much Instagram wedding content fed to me. Like clearly the algorithm has figured this out that I love it, even though I've been married for 20 years. But here I am. Here I am. I still delight in a wedding and a long veil. And Naomi knocked it out of the park. Good job, sister. Good job. Okay. Well, thank you. Great happiness to the Bidens. Uh, All the best. And Everyone, thank you for joining us for this episode of Fancy Politics. See, we just we take a real buffet approach. Like, you take what you enjoy, you leave the rest. It's fine. There'll be more food later. There'll be another outside of politics for me. It's okay. 
We will be back with you on Friday with one of our favorite episodes that we think is a perfect match for the Thanksgiving holiday. We previously spoke with Dan Harris from 10% Happier, and we're going to share that conversation again with you on Friday. We'll be back with a brand new episode next Tuesday. Everybody have the best week available to you. Pantsuit Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our managing director. Maggie Penton is our community engagement manager. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers. Martha Brunitsky. Linda Daniel. Allie Edwards. Janice Elliott. Sarah Greenup. Julie Haller. Helen Handley. Tiffany Hassler. Emily Holliday. Katie Johnson. Katina Zuganellis-Kasling. Barry Kaufman. Molly Kors. Lori Ladau. Lily McClure. Emily Neasley. The Hattons! Tawny Peterson. Tracy Putoff. Sarah Ralph. Jeremy Sequoia. Katie Steigers. Karen True. Annika Uveline. Nick and Elisa Valelli. Catherine Vollmer. Amy Whited. Jeff Davis. Melinda Johnston. Michelle Wood. Joshua Allen. Morgan McHugh. Nicole Berkless, Paula Bremer, and Tim Miller. I actually thought if you want to do Ellen and outside politics, I thought we could do it in the news roundup. No, that's worse. <laughs> <laughs> okay, please put that at the end of the show. <laughs> it's so much worse. <laughs>